You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. So great to worship God with you this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and uh, we love that you're here with us. Hope you feel really welcomed and uh, encouraged in your walk with God today as you spend time with us or your exploration of who Jesus is. And so, again, we just love that you're here. Uh, this morning, we are uh, in week two of a three-part teaching series that we're calling uh, Catalyst for Life Change. And as I mentioned last week, the dictionary definition of a catalyst is an agent that provokes or speeds significant change or action. And so in this series, we're talking about catalysts that God uses to provoke a significant change or action in our lives. And uh, the idea of this series is really born out of something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And uh, as I mentioned again last week in Way Review, the church in Thessalonica was this model church, this church that was known for when the, the gospel coming to them and then receiving it with faith, even in the midst of persecution, that they heard that Jesus is the Messiah and that he had lived and died in their place and then rose again. And they believed it even when others in their city did not. And they were persecuting them for that. And then uh, not only did they believe it, but then God used that to change their lives to where they began to be known for how they had turned from idols to worship the one living God. And how they had went from being selfish to loving each other and their city, even the people who were persecuting them. And how the gospel rang out from them to the region, uh, the entire region of people living around the city of Thessalonica. So like they, this is just like radical life change. And the Apostle Paul, he, he writes them a letter. And it's as if, he's, as he begins to pin this, he's thinking, man, these, it's amazing what God did. In their life. It's, I mean, it's amazing the change that took place in the life of this church. And so he begins writing in the opening sentences of this book. He just is reflecting on what God used to bring about this radical change in them. He writes these words in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. He says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like he begins thinking, you know, here, your life's changed, and I remember what God used to change your lives. He, he used these things. He used faith. He used love. And he used hope. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're drilling down on these catalysts, if you will, that God uses to bring his good change in our lives. And each week, we're just going to spend time talking about each one of them. So last week, we talked about faith. Today, we're going to talk about love. Next week, talking about hope. But guys, these catalysts, what I want to, hope you, I want to help you understand, it's like the point of this series is to cause all of us, the prayer is that all of us would lean in, like we would embrace these catalysts to a greater degree so that or for the purpose of God using them to bring about his good work in our lives. And guys, his good work in our lives is something that we all should want. 
I think we all, in many ways, naturally want, whether you're a Christian or whether you're exploring faith in Christ or you're not real sure what you believe about God, the stuff that God wants to do in our lives are things that we would say, I want that to happen. That's change I want to have happen in my life in many ways because these are some of the things God wants to do in our lives. He wants to make us more loving. Who doesn't want to be more loving? He wants to make us more kind. He wants to make us more gentle. He wants to make us more forgiving. Who doesn't want that? He wants to give us more joy, more peace, no matter our circumstances. Who doesn't want that? He wants to help us live meaningful, significant lives. Who doesn't want that? These are things that God wants to do in our lives. And guys, if you want that kind of breakthrough, you want God to bring that kind of change to your life, lean into these catalysts. Because these are the things he uses. Faith, love, and hope. All right, so last week we talked about faith. And if you remember, we said faith, simply put, is taking God at his word. Simply put, faith is taking God at his word. And what we saw is when we take God at his word, he does the work in us that produces or results in rest for us. And righteousness for us. And even moving us to risk with him. So that if you, I hope you've been embracing that, leaning in to taking God as word, leaning into faith over this last week. We want to continue to encourage you to do that. But this week, like I said, we're moving on to the topic of love and how God uses love as a catalyst to bring about his change. And I know you don't need me to tell you that love is a powerful catalyst, right? I mean, many of us could stand up here and tell a story about how love led you to make significant changes in your life or how love caused you to act differently in a ridiculous way because of that catalyst of love, right? I mean, we could all tell stories like that. Let me tell you one of mine. Um, When I first met Krista, uh, my wife, uh, when I first met her, it was uh, right before senior year at college. Uh, we were at a uh, church leaders retreat, and so I got to spend a little time with her over a weekend and just right away knew that she was amazing. So, I mean, I, right away, I had it for her bad. But I also found out over that weekend that there was another guy kind of in the picture, and that other guy was a friend of mine. He was actually the guy that I asked who she was. So I was like, hey, who's that girl? He's like, oh, it's girl I like. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Territory marked off. I, I understand. So I had to like bide my time for a little while to, to uh, you know, let that play out because she actually wasn't interested in him, which, you know, praise be to God. And so I had a chance, but I had to like, it's, you know how it is, dicey with the friends. I had to like bide my time. But while I was biding my time at the beginning of that semester, I, uh, I, I also kind of had strategy of like, okay, I still want to spend, I want to be around her as much as I can. And when I'm around her, I want to like impress her or make her laugh or like stand out to her, right? And so she knows that I'm around her. And so I'm, I'm trying to find ways to do that. And uh, about six months into the semester, there came an opportunity because our uh, college ministry put together a uh, pirate-themed roller skating party. And I heard through the grapevine that Krista was going to be at this. And so I decided I would also be at this. Though, dressing up like a pirate and roller skating, definitely not my jam. But I figured if she's going to be there, I'm going to be there. So I also figured if I'm going to go, I better like make sure 
that I make a statement. Like she knows that I'm there. And so I go to Goodwill and I go buy all of the pirate stuff. I find a Jerry Seinfeld-esque poofy pirate shirt, best I could, if you remember that episode. And uh, I get the bandana, I get the eye patch. But then I realize, like, okay, everybody there is going to have this kind of stuff on. What am I going to do to really stand out? I got to take it up a notch. And so I buy this giant, you know, fake gold uh, hoop earring. Real. And I take it home to my roommate, and I, it's about an hour before the party, and I say, I don't know, I don't care how it happens, you got to get this through my ear. And we're going to pierce my ear, and I'm gonna, this is how I'm going to impress Krista. Now, I don't know why I thought that would impress Krista, but in my mind, it would. And so he's, he, like, you know, we get online, we try to figure out how to do this. He spreads something that, like, you're supposed to put an apple behind your ear, which I didn't understand, but we got an apple. And so he has, he's holding, or I'm holding the apple behind my ear, and this earring, it had a pretty good needle to it. And so he just takes this thing, and... <laughs> And this is crazy because I hate needles. I mean, those of you who know me know I'm scared to death of needles. Like, I pass out anytime I get a shot. Just seeing a needle makes me dizzy. One of Justin's, our associate pastor's favorite thing to do is just send me random text message pictures of needles. And it's, it's not love. It's not loving, Justin. But... That night, it didn't matter. He was going to get, my roommate Brian was going to get this earring through my ear. And so he, he pulls back and it's, it's, it just, just slams it in. And it worked. It was amazing. <laughs> so I'm like, got it in, clasp it, trying to dry off the blood, right? And, so, and then I'm off to this party. Now, I was a little bit late, but I was like, I'm making an entrance, right? So I show up, get there, looking around, going to find Krista. She's not there. She's not there. I'm going to pierce my ear to impress her. She's not even at the party. And so I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm hanging out there. Well, I know her roommates and we're friends. And so I somehow managed to get invited back to Krista's place. With uh, Her roommates invited a bunch of friends over. So I got invited over. And so I did get to see Krista. And she got to see me in the glory of my pierced ear and all that. And on top of that, I managed to talk up um, how bad my head was hurting because my ear was throbbing, and she massaged my head for a couple of minutes, and totally worth it, right? I mean, it was like the plan succeeded. It was awesome, right? Yeah. So, love, love, catalyst for change, catalyst for action. We know that that's true, friends, right? But what's interesting is, uh, you know, how do you transition off that story? Um, what's, what's interesting is that though we know romantic love can also often cause you to do the kind of crazy stuff, the love that the Apostle Paul is referring to in Ephesians 1 verse 3 isn't romantic love. It's actually a more powerful form of love, a more steadfast form of love. And so I want us to spend some time looking into what is the nature of this love. Because many of y'all know this, but the Greeks actually had uh, many different words that they use for, to describe love or different types of love. And uh, this is the, the word that they use here is uh, packed full of meaning. And so I want us to take some time to think about this labor that's prompted by love and then uh, see where it leads. All right, so let me jump in. 
with answering this key question, which is, okay, what kind of love prompts labor? What kind of love prompts labor? And as, as I just mentioned, okay, you've got these different types of words that the Greeks would use uh, for love. The word that Paul uses here is the word agape. Agape. Many of you are familiar with that word. Uh, it's helpful, right, when you think about how the Greeks had different words for uh, different types of love. Like, that's where we fall short in the English language. Like, we, we, we have, like, all, we use the word love in all these different ways, right? We'll say things like, man, I love tacos, and I love my mom. But if you love tacos like you love your mom, your mom's going to be sad, right? I mean, we know that that means two different kinds of things. Well, in, or you have a problem with how much you love tacos. But anyways, the, um, but in the Greek, they would use these different words to describe different types of love. And the word agape was this incredibly powerful type of love. It was a word that described a love that was, uh, it, it often would include feelings of affection. But more than that, it was a love by, that was driven by volition or by choice. That it was, uh, I guess the best way I know how to define or describe agape love is this. It's the choice to sacrificially serve someone else. It's a choice to sacrificially serve someone else. And so, though there are sometimes, like, feelings would be attached to the idea of agape love, agape love never started or stopped with feelings. It was always rooted, driven by a choice, a choice to seek the well-being of another or the choice to sacrificially serve someone else. And, um, What's, uh, let me, and so, like, the Bible would speaks a lot about agape love, saying, like, this is the kind of love that God has for us, and therefore this is the love that we should have for one another. For example, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, uh, we're told, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And that's a description of agape love, that it's love that moves you to action. Do you see that? It's love that moves you to action. Or as in 1 Thessalonians, one would say, it's love that moves you or prompts you to labor. And the word labor in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, is a very strong word. It's a very strong word. It basically was a word that was used to describe toiling in the midst of pain or straining to the point of sweat and exhaustion. So agape love prompts the kind of sacrificial service on behalf of another that is so sacrificial it feels like toiling in the midst of pain or, you know, exhausting yourself, sweat and exhaustion, just wearing yourself out as you sacrificially serve another. Like this word labor, like the, the, best, the, word, the best picture to kind of get for what kind of labor Paul's talking about would actually be uh, labor, like a woman having a baby, right? Like you think about a mom sacrificially serving by, by in the midst of toiling through pain in order to birth a child, serve this baby for the well-being of this baby. I mean, you think about like that kind of labor, that kind of toiling through pain, that kind of exhaustion and sweat that goes into service. And Paul is saying, okay, this is this is what I remember in this church in Thessalonica. 
Like, y'all didn't just love each other in word. And you didn't just love each other and like, y'all, let me just throw you a bone whenever I've got some free time and I'll help you out. But like, you labored in your sacrificial service for one another. Like, your agape love had teeth. I mean, think about the persecution this church went through at the very beginning of the birth of this church. Like, they were risking their lives for each other. I mean, they were taking each other in. They were sheltering each other. They were going way beyond just, a, you know, normal kind of service. Labor. That's what Paul says. That's what I remember. Now, one more thing about agape love is that where romantic love can, can definitely catalyze you to go, you know, change or act in ways to express that love, uh, it's usually, or actually probably always, uh, done with the hope that you're going to get something in return, right? So I was romantic love, got my ear pierced, and hopes that I get Krista's attention. That's what I was hoping for. But agape love is actually love that's given with no strings attached. It's sacrificial service on behalf of another regardless of how they respond. It's not, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's, I'll give completely of myself no matter what, no matter whether you acknowledge it or take advantage of it or disregard it. No, I am not loving based on what you, how you respond. I'm giving completely of myself just because I love you. I've made the choice. Sacrificial service. Now, here's the wild thing. As Christians, we're called to do that for everyone. And I think about what the Apostle Paul would say later on in the book of 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 3, he's praying for them. And he, in his prayer, says this. Verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, may the Lord make your love, that's agape love, make your agape increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Now, the each other is in reference to each other in the church of Thessalonica. <laughs> and the everyone else is in reference to everyone else, right? Everyone else. And like that sounds so incredibly drastic, doesn't it? But it shouldn't surprise us, because this is just what Jesus taught. I mean, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, it's this. It's, it's to agape, that's the word he uses for love, to love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to agape, to love your neighbor. Like, this is how we should treat everybody all the time. To which we, if you're paying attention, if I haven't lost you, to which we would say, okay, um, how? Right? Like, how in the world are we supposed to love people, all people, in this way? To, with a love that sacrificial service on their behalf to the point of, like, toiling to the, in the midst of pain and exhaustion? Like, how am I supposed to do that to everybody? I mean, I can't even hardly do that for my own family and, 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 and I really love them, but, but people that I don't even know or to a church of people that I'm not, like, I sit next to on Sundays or I'm, I'm in a group with them at uh, MC at times, but, man, I don't know everybody here, and yet I'm supposed to lo lo labor in my love for everybody and then not just the church but for the, the world, like everyone? How in the world? 
Are we ever going to do that? Like, don't you know you don't have what it takes to do that? Don't you feel that? I mean, don't we know that whenever we are, tried, are called to sacrificially serve someone else in love, we just can feel our love tank just being sucked dry. It's like, okay, I can maybe do that for a little bit, but I got to get a respite, and I got to find a way to fill up. I need a break. I can't just do that over and over and over again. Like, how is it possible? We know we can't do that without being filled up by that kind of love first. So that goes to the next question I want to spend some time on this morning, which is, you know, what, what, um, whose love prompts our laboring love? Whose love prompts our laboring love? And the answer to that question, friends, is actually found in the prayer that Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. I mean, you notice when he says, May the Lord make your love, agape, increase and overflow for each other, for everyone else. Who's going to do that? He's praying. God, may the Lord make your love increase. That the prayer understands, Paul understands, and he hopes and he's teaching the Thessalonian church for them to understand. Like, in order for us to really labor in love, we've got to have God himself making our love increase for each other and for everyone else. And um, I love how uh, Eugene Peterson uh, captures this verse whenever he's in his paraphrase of it and, and the message. Here's how, how he puts it. He says, May the master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes over on everyone around you. May the master pour on the love so it fills our lives and splashes on everyone around you. It's like that's the picture. It's like, okay, when I give and give, I just feel like my, my love cup is just being, <laughs> just being poured out. I'm just running empty. But here, here he's like, this is what God does. He pours on the love. So that you're over, filled up and overwhelming. Uh, over, it's overwhelming. It's splashed on everybody else. And the reason, that guys, the reason that God can do that is because God is love. You think about 1 John 4.16. It says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. So we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. And God is love. And because, guys, because God is love, then he has an infinite source, because he's infinite God, of love to pour out onto us. And in addition to that, because he's love, he doesn't, he doesn't leverage guilt or shame or the carrot of conditional love in order to wring out and squeeze out every ounce of love in us to be poured out on others. He's like, okay, if you really want to be loved by me, if you really want, then you got to just give, 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 and give. No, no, no. Because God is love. He uses love, who he is, to catalyze our love for others, to prompt our love for others. Or as 1 John 419 says, we love because he first loved us. So we don't love God or, or others in order to receive God's love. We love him and others because we have already been given his love in and through Jesus. And for in Jesus, God demonstrated, he poured out his agape 
love for us. I mean, think about Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But here, here's the thing. I've heard messages like this, and, like, and my guess is that many of y'all hear, hear this, and you think, oh, okay, I, like, that's great. Like, I like that that's who the Bible says God is. Like, I'm all for God is love. I'm really happy about that. And I love that God has, doesn't, like, just wait for us to love in the right way in order for us to receive his love. I love that he loves us first. I mean, I'm a big fan of that. That's really awesome. But if I'm honest, I don't often feel real filled up by that. And if like, I'm going to really labor in love for others, if I'm going to have agape love for others, sacrificially serve others to the, in the midst of pain and suffering exhaustion, like i got to really feel God's love, and I often don't feel God's love, or I don't know how to be filled up or, or have this love poured in to my heart to where I'm overwhelming it, splashing on others. Like, I mean, that's pretty talk, but I don't, that's not real life. Like, what is, It's so abstract. You feel that way then you're not going to be able to love others because it's God's love that prompts our laboring love. And so let me just take a minute and, and speak to that. Because, like, friends, if that's how you feel, like I just, like God's love is too abstract. It doesn't fill me, you know, it doesn't, it's not poured out on me. I don't feel like overwhelmed by his love. If that's how you feel. I get it. I've been there. Sometimes I'll find myself back there. I know how hard that is. And so I just want to you know, take a minute and just say, here are the things that have, one, are a couple of things that really help me be filled up and overwhelmed by God's love for me. It's three, three things that I meditate on or think about on a regular basis. And just to be honest, I think about these things often in the morning, my devotional time with God. It's really helpful there. And I often have to come back to thinking about these things when I am serving someone else. And so it's when I'm serving that I, uh, it's really funny. This morning we had to do setup, uh, first time with the trailer in a long time. And I am dying doing setup this morning because it's hot and I was like, we didn't have enough people and all that stuff. And so I was worn out and like I'm thinking, it's good that I was preaching this message today because I had to be thinking about this, meditating on this while I was serving this morning. And so here are the things that I think about that fill me up and help me know God's love to where I can pour it out through me. He can pour it out through me. First thing is this that I meditate on is uh, who it is that loves me. Or ask the question, who loves me? Who has loved and served me? And I have to ask that question because um, it's amazing how flippantly I can take the statement, God loves me. It, It just doesn't do much for me. Honestly, but when I slow down and I think about the fact that it is God who loves me, like God of the universe, the the all-powerful, all-knowing, majestic creator of all, center of the universe, the one who holds all things together. Colossians 1 talks about the one that, as Isaiah 40 talks about, holds the waters in the hollow of his hand, spans, spans, measures the spans of the universe in the spans of his hands. The one that Isaiah 6 talks about, or Revelation 
4 talks about how there's angels, these majestic angels in his presence that cannot bear to look at his glory. And so they cover their eyes with their wings. And yet day in and day out, they shout to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That this is the one who loves me and loves you. That does something for me. And then I ask another question. I ask, how badly did I need God's love and service? How badly did I need God's love and service? And I don't like this question. Because this question uh, forces humility in me. And, and, and makes me admit things that I don't like to admit about myself. Like this question, it, it, it makes me in humility to, to, to know that when Jesus said that I have not come for the healthy but for the sick, he was talking about me. And I was sick with the disease of selfishness and pride that was going to result in my death. When I think about how Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. The reason that he had to come and give his life as a ransom is because I was captive and I was poor. I was so spiritually poor that I had no hope of ever paying my debt that I owed. The debt of unrighteousness that was mine to pay off and had no hope of ever paying off. Or when Jesus said, uh, love your enemies. And then he went to the cross and died for us. It was because um, I was one of his enemies. I hate admitting that. I don't like, I just don't like even thinking. Like, does God have enemies and I'm in his enemy? And yet, when I think about it, when I take the time to really think about it. God created me and just as he created you. In his image, meaning that we were given the dignity, incredible value that we were to be image bearers of God, representing to his creation what he, God Almighty, is like in character. And yet I know that though that was what I was created for, I have slandered his name and how I've misrepresented his character. And I deserved condemnation and his wrath. How badly did I need how he loved and served me? And then I ask another question. How has he loved and served me? And it's in the background of who loved and served me and who was loved and served. That when this question is asked, I tell you, I just feel God's love being poured out on me because here's how he loved and served me and you, friends. That when we were sick, he took our sickness upon himself on the cross that we could be healed and made whole. 
That when we were spiritually poor, having no hope of ever paying the debt of our unrighteousness, Jesus, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, verse 8, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he would say, okay, Jesus, though he was rich, became poor on our behalf so that in him, through his poverty, we may be made rich. Or as Peter would talk about, or, or Paul would talk about Ephesians, that we would, then are given the, uh, all the blessings in the heavenly realms because of how Jesus has served us. Or how Jesus, again, when he said, you've heard it said, friends, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. And then he dies for us. Romans 5, verse 10 says it this way. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Jesus served me not by coming to condemn me as his enemy, but to give me Give his life for me. And so God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3, verse 17. That Jesus agoped me, and he agoped you. He sacrificially served us to the point of dying for us. That in love he labored for me and for you, toiling in the midst of the pain of the cross so that through simple faith in him, we could go from being his enemy to becoming his friend and a child of God and a co-heir in Christ. And I, said, I don't know about you, but like that moves me. But I have to meditate. I have to chew on that. I have to roll that around in my mind. I have to think about these words, these crazy words, God loves me. When I do, I feel God's love being poured into me. And I feel this compulsion, this compelling to go love others in the way that I have been loved. And so I'm not just as a pastor saying that because it sounds good. Like I literally experience that on the regular. I love what Milton Vincent says in his book, The Gospel Primary, he says, When my mind is fixed on the gospel, I have ample stimulation to show God's love to other people. For I am always willing to show love to others when I am freshly mindful of the love that God has shown me. It's God's love that prompts our love that's willing to labor on behalf of others. And this last question I just want to spend time, a couple minutes on before we close is just this. Is, you know, what kind of love or what kind of labor does God's love prompt? And really, this, this, the answer to this question is, is, is gigantic because it's basically uh, any and every kind of sacrificial service that benefits someone else, <laughs> right? I mean, it's God's love, the sacrificial service for us, that then prompts us to sacrificially serve anyone in a way that's going to benefit them. And when we're not, when we're understanding and receiving, acknowledging the love that God has for us, there's nothing that we would say, okay, no, that that line is too far. I'm not going to go there. It's like, Jesus didn't say that. Well, I can't serve this person because, you know, they're going to take advantage of it. Do you not take advantage of Jesus' love? 
I can't, I can't go, I won't be willing to, to, to sacrifice to that extreme. I mean, that was just, that's just going to cost too much. Or it's going to require too much of my time. Did, did Jesus say that for you? I can't, I can't do that because they, they, they don't even acknowledge that I've loved them. Friends, how, how long have we gone without acknowledging how much God loves us? And when we are mindful of how God has loved us, there's nothing that we would not do to reflect that love. There's no like, way that God's love can't increase in us that causes us to say, okay, I, can't, I don't have any love to give. And God's love never runs out. It never gives up. We already sang that this morning. The big question for us is are we drinking deeply of his love? And I give you these things to meditate on to help you do that. Who has loved you? How badly did you need his love? And then how has he loved you? One thing that I absolutely thank God for is that this church, we have a reputation for loving one another with this kind of love, agape love. Um, we made a decision when we started this church that we were going to do our very best, though knowing that we're not perfect, but we're going to do our very best to make sure that we do not leverage guilt or shame to get people to serve each other. That we want to be a church that, as we say, a family that holds up Jesus and how he has loved and served us and then allow God to work through that to compel us, to catalyze us, to prompt us, to labor, to love and serve each other and Austin with God. And by the grace of God, God using the catalyst of his love in our lives, we as a church, to his glory and praise, do that. I mean, just last year, 140-plus people within our church served on a regular basis, not a one-time-off thing, but like on a regular commitment basis to love and serve each other or our city. And that's a big deal because we only run about 180 people, right? So like 140 of us did that. Like, that's amazing. Like, praise God for that. I love that. And like that service, friends, if you think about it, it's, it's everything that you experienced this morning and plus a whole lot more. I mean, you think about the people who set up this morning. Make this hospitable for you. Think about the people who were outside greeting you when you came in so you know you're seen and welcomed. You think about the people who brought treats, people who made coffee and washed dishes. We have people who wash dishes every single Sunday so that we can you know, leave a, you know, be more green, leave less of a footprint, and be more hospitable. I mean, I love that. That's an amazing way that we serve one another. We've got people right now missing our worship service, loving and serving our kids, and that do that two weeks in a row, and then off four, and then on two for the whole year. That's service. That's, that's love. We've got people reading with Lee Elementary students, helping them read, as Matt was talking about, or people reading with and, and playing games with the foster children helping hand home. I mean, I could go on and on. We got MC leaders who host people in their house week in and week out, cleaning the house, making hospitable for you. We got people who are discipling others, giving other time to help you know Jesus and follow Jesus. Like, it's awesome, friends. I just love that. Let's continue in that. Later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul would say, hey, you don't need 
Church, you don't need me to teach you about love. God has already done that. But here's what I do when I encourage you to do. Do it more and more. Can you love each other more and more? And it's always possible to love each other more and more because God never runs out of love to pour on us. He can always make our love increase for each other and for one another in light of how he has loved us. And so this year, we have these Living for Others menu. And I want to just encourage you to pick that up. And not out of guilt. (laughs) I mean, please know, like, I'm not guilting you. But as you embrace how God has loved you, because I'll tell you, this is as simple as it gets. Here is a very tangible way to agape love our church and our city. Here are ways that we need people to serve this year. Here and in our city. I think I'd really encourage you that you embrace God's love for you. May it catalyze you to love and serve each other with him. We're going to end by taking communion. And this is an opportunity even right here to begin to meditate, to think about who has loved you and how badly you needed his love and service and then how he has loved and served you. For on the cross, God the Son labored toiled in the midst of pain and exhaustion and sweat to heal us when we're sick, to free us who were enslaved, and to turn his enemies into his friends. It's amazing love. As we take communion, may you remember that. Everyone's welcome to take communion here at Midtown Church. You don't have to be a partner. Uh, We do ask that you believe what you're taking. And if you're still not sure if Jesus has done this for you, we'd encourage you to, to, to not take communion, but instead to talk with God now about whether he really has loved you this way. Feel free to stand up and walk around. You don't have to stay seated. We also have people in the back to pray with you or to talk with you, and we'd love to do that. And that's really open to all of us. We'd love to know how we can pray for you. Let me pray, and then let's go in a time of meditation and communion and worship and song. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for not calling us to love one another and just uh, making us find a way to do that on our own in order to earn your love. But instead, you, our God, who is love, has loved us first. And in the most incredibly sacrificial way possible, that Jesus, you died for us to heal us, to free us, and to change us. And God, may your love prompt us to labor in love for each other and for everyone else. Because we know that, God, we love you when we love our neighbors. Grow us in our love for each other. May you increase our love to where it's overflowing. We need you, God. Thank you for how you've loved us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.